Good morning. morning. Well, I invite you uh, once again to open your Bibles to Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. Is that me? Uh, Chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and seek his help, shall we? Father God, God, where else can we go? For you have the words of life. And God, as what was said earlier, we, we all have come here this morning from, from different places, different areas, different issues and events in life. But God, one thing in common we all have this morning, we have come here to hear from you. And so, God, we ask that you would speak to us. We ask, God, that your word would come on us afresh and anew. And, God, that we would not leave here the same as we walked in these doors this morning, but that we would be changed and we would be made more like your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, God, we ask for your spirit to be present among us now. And all these things we ask in Christ. Amen. Was was thinking this week about this this passage. I I was reminded when I was a kid in, in church, and we would have missionaries come, and they would give their presentation. And often the the ones that would come from overseas and come home on furlough, they would they would all seem to have a common obstacle that they would they would face in in foreign countries. Is that when when people would come to Christ, they would they would take Jesus and they would take him to their home, but they would they would place him on the mantle of their home next to their, their other gods. And as I was thinking about this passage this week, I was thinking that here in, in the sophisticated Western culture, perhaps we're not so different. We may not put them on the, the mantles of our home, but what about the mantles of our hearts? Does Jesus have sole possession in our lives? Does does Jesus, as this text reminds us and calls to us today, does Jesus have preeminence in our lives? What is it in our lives that, that, that competes with this sole position that Christ is to have? Well, Paul, as he writes this letter... In similar fashion, Colossians is, is struggling through a same kind of, kind of challenge. There's been a false teaching that has creeped into the church, and it, and it says that Jesus isn't enough. That you need, you need more. You need to not eat this, or, or you need to observe this. And, and all saying that they were saying is that Jesus isn't enough. They said, they taught that, that, that Jesus was good and, and you, you needed Jesus, but there was still more that you needed. So our passage this morning reminds us that, that Jesus indeed is enough. This is the supremacy and the centrality of the Lord Jesus Christ in all things is, is what Paul fleshes out here in this letter to the, to the church of Colossae and that Christ is supreme of, above all things. 
And as we enter our text this morning, as we go through verses 15 through 20, by just in way of introduction and just an interesting note on our passage this morning, it is believed by many scholars, not all, but many, that what Paul is citing here is an ancient creed or an ancient hymn that the, the church would recite. And so as we look at this today, it, 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 as it did, I'm sure, with the original readers at verses 15 through 20, challenges us this morning to, to consider the centrality and the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ in each of our lives. And so where does that begin? Where, where if, if Christ is to be preeminent in our lives, we look here first at verse 15 where he says, we must give Jesus preeminence because he is God. Verse 15 begins by, by stating that he is the image of the invisible God. This word image, it, it, it derives from a Greek word icon. And here in, in Western culture, when we think of the word icon, we think of somebody who is uh, well-known, somebody who has influence and significance. But that's not what the word means here. The, 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 the word here means to, it carries the idea of a portrait or, or an exact representation or an imprint. Jesus, Jesus uses a similar word in the Gospels when he is having a conversation with the Pharisees and they want to catch him in a trap. And so they, they ask him um, who, who, uh, about taxes. And Jesus says, show me a coin. And, and whose inscription is on it? Whose imprint, whose representation is on it? It is, it is this, this idea of image. And so Jesus being the image of God, of God the Father, then, then Jesus is the very nature and character of God. Jesus is the revelation of, of God and what God is really like. So when we, our grandkids, our children, when they're little and, you know, as parents and grandparents, we always get that question, what is God like? Well, we can just simply say, well, he's like Jesus. We point him to Jesus. Jesus is the exact representation of everything that God is. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 expresses this when, when the writer says, Who being in the brightness of the glory and the express image of his person. Earlier in the letter, Paul would pray that the, the Colossians would walk worthy of the Lord and, and fully pleasing Him. And, and then Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 5 that to be imitators of God. How are we to do that as, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ? What does that look like? How do we be imitators of God? How do, how do we please God? We look to Jesus because He is the image of the invisible God. We have a wonderful promise from Romans chapter 8, verse 29, where Paul would say, For whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. What a wonderful promise we have, brothers and sisters. As Jesus is the image of God, we are being conformed to the very nature and character of Christ. Every day as he sanctifies us, we are beginning to look more and more like Jesus. Well, not only is 
we to have preeminence in Christ because he is God, but we must give Jesus preeminence because he is the creator and above all creation. That's where Paul goes to next in verses 15b through 17. He says, The firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things and in him all things things consist and Paul goes on here in these verses to give us four reasons why of Jesus's absolute supremacy over creation Paul tells us that Jesus is the firstborn over creation in in verse 15b and Paul is not saying that Jesus was born first but rather that that it, it is someone who is of higher rank of higher honor. It is a, a status of position. Psalm, uh, Psalm 89 verses 24 through, through 27 uh, spell this out for us so wonderfully when it says, but my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him and, and in my name his horn shall be exalted. Also will set, I will set his hand over the sea and his right hand over the rivers. And he shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Also, I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Second, we see that Jesus is the agent of creation. Paul goes on to write in verse 16 that all things were created through Christ and for Christ. He is the means by which everything was created and he is creation's end goal. Everything has been created and and finds its origin in the Lord Jesus Christ. We turn to Genesis 1 and and Jesus is there as, as the Logos, the Word of God, bringing about all that has been created. Listen to Hebrews chapter 1 again, verses 1 through 2. Or verse 2, I'm sorry, that he has appointed heir of all things for whom also he made the world. And we see in Proverbs 8 that, that where he is called the master craftsman of creation. Verse 16 goes on to, to give us this, this exhaustive summation of what Jesus created. There, by mentioning here two realms of creation. Two dimensions that are being spoken of here in our passage. The physical realm, the heaven and the earth, the realm that we are a part of, the things that are seen and not seen, Christ created. From the highest redwood trees in California to the smallest microscopic organism, Christ made it all. Then there's the spiritual realm. Indicated by these terms, thrones and dominions and principalities and powers, the, uh, the angelic realm finds its very origin in Christ himself. And Paul's point here, brothers and sisters, is simple. Jesus Christ, as the agent of creation, is supreme and is ruler over all and even the angels themselves. Good angels and bad angels, Christ has all authority. And because Jesus is the, 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 the operative of creation, that, that makes him the goal of creation. All things were created for him, and the Lord Jesus Christ is the goal, and, and all is moving toward him. 
Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10 says, Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. Paul goes on in verse 17 and, and gives us two more reasons as to why Jesus' absolute supremacy over creation, that he is before all things, and in him all things consist. He is before all things, Paul says. He, he tells us that Jesus is the forerunner and, and he preexisted before all things. Before there was a creation, before there was a beginning, Christ existed. Before there was anything, there was the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, dwelling in complete fellowship and perfect fellowship with one another. Jesus, in his high priestly prayer in John 17, says, And now, O my Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. If the first part of verse 17 tells us of his pre-existence, then the second part speaks of his cosmic significance. That in him all things consist. The original word behind this, our English word, consist, it, it, it means to bring together or to, or to hold something together in, in its proper or appropriate place or relationship. When I was researching this week and studying, I was online and reading some articles and, and I was reading, reading about astronomers and their theories on what holds the universe together. Because they look out there in the spans of the universe and they see that the universe is, is spinning so fast that what is keeping it together? That it ought to fly out of control and, and separate from one another. So astronomers come up with a theory called dark matter. It's a theory that they believe. They haven't found any evidence of it, by the way. But they surmise that this, this dark matter is what holds the universe together and intact. But here in verse 17, we're told not what holds the universe together, brothers and sisters, but who holds the universe together. Jesus holds it all together. He does it so by the word of his power, according to Hebrews chapter 1 again. He maintains the constants of the universe. He, he sustains the motions of all the planets so that the universe he created doesn't spin out of control. And here on earth we see his rule over oceans. We see his rule over weather patterns and jet streams and even climate change. Where in Job chapter 38, he says to the seas, This far you should come, but no farther. And here your proud waves must stop. In Mark's gospel, we see him calm the storms. All things are held together in Christ. And people, that, that ought to bring us great comfort this morning. To know that Jesus holds all things together. Because not only does Jesus maintain and sustain all of creation, but every moment of every day, he maintains and sustains our lives in him. 
He is not some deistic God who created the world and decided to take a vacation. No, Christ is here and he is concerned with every aspect. When we get that news of cancer, Christ is there and he holds us together. When we get that news that we are, or when we are laid up and, and, and we're gripped with the frustration of, of immobility, Christ is there and he cares and he holds us together. When we're grieving of the loss of a loved one, Christ is there to comfort us. He holds us together. Christ holds us together. But as Paul goes on here in, in verse 18, as we move through our passage this morning, we must give Jesus preeminence because he is head of the church. Look there at verse 18 where he says, He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Jesus being head of the church means that he is the source and the origin and, and, and the ruler of the church. One commentator put it like this. Christ controls every part of his body, the church, and is its inspiring, ruling, guiding, combining, sustaining power, the mainspring of its activity, the center of its unity, and the seat of its life. Jesus directs his church, he controls his church, and he does sustain his church. In writing to Ephesians, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 that, and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. But verse 18 goes on to state the, the reason as to why Christ alone has the exalted position in the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Paul says that he is the beginning and it's this word arche. It, 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 it can refer to the beginning of creation like we see in, in Hebrew chapter 1. It can mean to initiate something like we see in Matthew chapter 24. And in John chapter 1, verse 1, it refers to Jesus' eternal pre-existence. But here, here in verse 18 of Colossians, it's referring to Jesus' primacy and his rank. Paul is just restating in a more direct way what he said in verse 15. Jesus has primacy because he is the image of the invisible God. Jesus has primacy because he is the means by which all things were created. Jesus in his person and work initiated and commenced a new creation in which he holds the highest place and the highest honor. Just as he is in, in creation now sustaining and ruling, so he is in his new creation. Jesus Christ is above all in the new creation. His, his resurrection marked his triumph over death and over sin. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ inaugurated the new hope for a new humanity. Through his resurrection, he brought hope of resurrection for, for all those who put their faith and trust in Christ. 
1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up in his power. First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. But as we look at verse 18 here this morning, we, we don't want to miss how it ends. This, this is the crux of the entire letter that Paul is writing to the Colossians. It is Paul's thesis statement that in him, so that he might have preeminence in all things. Is this where Jesus stands in your life this morning? Does he have first place in your life? Is the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ the measure in all that you do? Because Jesus is to, to have preeminence in our life. That's so what Paul is calling us here this morning. Because he is God, he deserves first place in our life. Because he has created you and sustains you, he deserves first place in your life. But as we move on to verses 19 through 20, we must give Jesus preeminence because he is the, the reconciler of all things. Verse 19 says, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. This is one of the most direct statements in the New Testament in regards to Jesus' deity. It expresses the totality, the completeness, and the full measure of his deity. Everything that God is, Jesus is, Paul is saying. Maybe here that Paul is, is, is making a direct statement to, uh, to counter an element of the false teaching that is, has crept into the church at Colossae. A teaching that, that asserted that, that the, if salvation was to be obtained, through, it is to be tamed through an elevated secret knowledge, a, a higher truth, only known by a certain few. A knowledge that you wouldn't get from the Bible, but by secret revelation. These, these false teachers may have been saying, if you want to experience fullness, follow our teaching. Because Jesus is just one step of many steps to a higher plane of, of, of spiritualization. But Paul comes right back, comes right back here in, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, and says, Christ is the fullness of God. Only in him can we find fullness. And friends, how easy it is to, for us to lose sight of this fact. How, how we can begin to, to view our careers, our, our hobbies, our relationships, the, the latest trends out there, and seeking them to find fulfillment in our lives. 
But this verse 19 points us to, to our ultimate fulfillment, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe there's someone here this morning who feels so empty and, and, and longs for fulfillment. Well, to that someone I say, Jesus is calling you this morning. Jesus is calling you to, to come to him where you will find rest for your souls. Come to Jesus. He will not turn you away. He loves to save sinners. He is a friend to sinners. But not only did it please the Father that in him all the fullness to, should dwell, but also by Christ to, to reconcile all things to himself. We see this here in, in verse 20. What another glorious statement we have. That in Christ, God was pleased to reestablish a broken relationship. A, re a relationship that was severed by our sin. And as we look at verse 20 here, there, there is a beautiful connection here between verses 16 and verses 20. And I, and I want us to see it here this morning because they act as, as bookends to this passage they, they encapsulate so beautifully and, and so exuberantly the excellency and supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. That he alone is above all. Look at verse 16 again. It says, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And then look at verse 20 once again. Where Paul would say, by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. What a wonderful, beautiful portrait of Christ. The agent by which God the Father created is the same agent that God the Father reconciled all creation to himself. But that's not all because verse 20 shows us the breadth of God's redemptive plan. Its, its scope includes cosmic renewal. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace by the blood of his cross. Friends, the glorious thing about this is that it has begun in Christ. The precious reconciliation that God has brought through his son to us comes with new creation. New creation has begun in us. All those who have claimed Christ as their Lord and Savior are new creations in Christ. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. Because of this great and, and, and wonderful thing that God has done for us through Christ, we are, we are called, people, to live differently. We are called to live and reflect the image of Christ. We are called to live and to reflect His preeminence and His lordship in our life. 
Paul later in, in, in writing his letter will say in chapter 3 verses 8 and 10, But now you yourselves are to put off these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. What a wonderful promise we have. And so our passage this morning, it has wondrously shown us the, the centrality and the supremacy and the absolute rule of the Lord Jesus Christ. This passage is saturated with it. It's, it. The phrase in him, for him, and by him is virtually in every sentence of this passage. The phrase, all things, is found six times in verses 15 through 20. So the question that we're left with today, as we will shortly close our Bibles and we will walk out those doors, is does Christ have first place in my life? Is he above all? Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. Friends, do we truly believe that? Do you believe that he reigns over what seems to be the mundane in life? Do you believe that he reigns over struggling marriages, health concerns, finances, or the loss of loved ones? Do you believe that he is supreme over wars and global upheaval? Do you believe that he is the Lord over the joys, the disappointments, the failures, and the tragedies of life? Even over every breath we take. I'm going to close with this comment uh, from one pastor who said this. He is the divine son in and through whom all things have been made and remade, that is made rightly and rightly ordered. Although the evidence of our world and the, the fears of our hearts suggest otherwise, Christ truly upholds the universe by the word of his power. Everything is under his command. Nothing escapes his lordship. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for this time in your word. God, we just ask now that you would hide your word in our hearts. In Christ, we ask these things. Amen.